Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's program, I'm going to ask my expert guests on how they're going to play the Omicron variant to the coronavirus. This is spook stock markets, particularly on Friday, a lot less today. But my question is, is this really going to be a buying opportunity because some stocks have been oversold? Today, it was expected that the market would sell off big time, but it fell only 0.37%. But we still have to ask the question, is this possibly a sucker's rally? So to find out whether it is a sucker's rally or not, I'm going to be asking uh, Julia Lee of Berman Invest, Junbei Lu of Tribeca Alpha Plus, then Yingyi and Cheng of Coolabar Capital will ask about what the bond market's thinking about and what's going to happen to interest rates. Then Paul Rickard, he'll give us his take on what's going on, plus whether Woodside is a buy or not. So let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Investor. So Julia, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Pete. So uh, let's let me get inside your head. The people watching this are not professional investors. You are. That's what you do every day of your life. When the o- Omicron problem bobbed up on Friday, what was your reaction? What were you thinking about how you would play after Friday? How are you going to play today? And then how did you play today? <laughs> sure. I, I guess the unusual thing about Friday was it happened in uh, on a day where it was pretty quiet. Um, so if we have a look at the US, we had the Thanksgiving holiday on Thursday, which meant the US stock markets were closed. And then on Friday, it's actually a half day over in the US. So a lot of people are on holidays over that Thursday, Friday, and then the weekend. So there wasn't a lot of volume. So part of it was panic selling that was happening in terms of the market. I think what we saw over the weekend was we saw uh, two of South Africa's top doctors coming out to say um, that what they've seen so far is that um, there's been very mild symptoms um, with this new variant. Um, So look, that's added a little bit more confidence to the market. Of course, it is very early stage, but for the time being, we haven't seen a huge spike in hospitalizations um, and deaths um, as yet. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. So it does look like this new variant might be more transmissible, but hopefully would have uh, lower symptoms. So that's what the market's banking on or hoping for, but we won't know for a few weeks yet. But in the meantime, we've seen a bit of a relief rally in terms of the futures market. We've seen the NASDAQ futures up by around about 1% and the S&P futures up by 0.8%. So it looks like we're going to see a bit of a bounce back in the US tonight. Now, you've talked in the past about how you're happy to position yourself with reopening trade-type stocks. Um, what companies in particular excited you today? Sure. I think when the, these bouts of volatility happen, it's important to take a, a bit more of a longer time frame and ask yourself, you know, what's the world going to be looking like in three to six months' time rather than two to three weeks' time? Um, yeah. So I guess that's the question for investors at the moment in terms of, of positioning. Be, even before the new variant, we'd already seen cases starting to rise in Europe. So what the market's doing at the moment is really holding off on pricing in more interest rates 
rate hikes sooner. So uh, what the market's pricing in at the moment is that those interest rate hikes will happen later in time. So that's been good news, actually, for some of the growth-related stocks. We know the tech stocks, when interest rates are rising, we usually see tech shares falling, but we're seeing the opposite today. Um, and the tech sector has been doing quite well in terms of the market. Um, I, I've topped up on a bit of Qantas today at $5.75. Um, at the end of the day, I think at about $5.90. So uh, $4.90, so $4.75. So it worried me that I'd, I'd wrote, written a story about Qantas being $5 and I thought, did I get it wrong? <laughs> it's, it's been pretty volatile. But look, people are still travelling over to, to the UK. Um, so, look, we'll see what happens in terms of travel. But travel has been hit very hard over the last two days. Um, and today was a pretty amazing day to watch. I mean, at one stage, I think Flight Centre was down 11%. Um, and, you know, by the end of the session, it was it had uh, less than half those losses. So we, did, we certainly saw some buying coming in during the session. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. And of course, in the weeks ahead, but I think the bigger question for investors to ask themselves at this point in time is, well, what's going to be happening in the next three to six months? Are we still going to be worried about this variant? Um, so look, um, I, whenever something happens in terms of the market or in terms of the stock, I last, like to ask myself, is this a once-off or is this something that's going to stick around for a while? So look, the next few weeks, things should become clearer. But for the time being on what we know at the moment, my view is that in six months' time, we're still going to be looking at reopening. And look, the fact is we're in a very different situation to where we were in February 2020, where we're much better at dealing with the virus, whether it's through treating the virus, through vaccinations, social distancing, masks, um, and in the worst case scenario in terms, of, in terms of lockdowns as well. So look, I think that we'll get quicker and quicker at dealing with these uh, virus uh, variants. Okay. Um, what's your view on commodities? I know you've been really um, supportive of New Farm, if I, if I got that right. And we have been asked questions about Institech Pivot. What, what's your view on that company? Sure. Uh, so I, some of the stocks I've been topping up on today include Institech Pivot. Um, really, the agricultural cycle is doing really well. Um, yeah. And, you know, we haven't seen much in terms of, of drought or bushfires, although we're seeing a lot of rain at the moment, which actually bodes well for, for crop yields. So things are still looking good for Institech Pivot. It's also coming up to a dividend payment on the 1st of December for anyone who's looking for a dividend and franking credits as well. So look, I think the agricultural stocks are still in an upcycle here. Um, the other stock that I've been topping up on today is Aristocrat Leisure. Um, I, I initially got out of this when it looks like looked like they wouldn't be successful in Playtech because there was another bidder for Playtech, but that bidder bowed out of the game last week, and for me that was a signal to buy. And really that Playtech acquisition is all about online betting as well as online gaming and gives Aristocrat Leisure a jump up in terms of the US market. And I think one of the things that Aristocrat Leisure does really well is it's got the content, it's got the games. So to have this online platform where it can put its games, I think makes a lot of sense. So um, Aristocrat Leisure is another one that I've been topping up on. Well, I know you, you're always a bit of a gambler, um, Julia. Um, what, about, <laughs> what about Crown? I, I always remember Rene Rivkin, uh, clearly a long time ago, he said to me, when it comes to a bid, often the first and second aren't the last the last two, there's often more bids. What do you think is going on with Crown? Do you think we'll see another bid? 
Yeah, I mean, I like my numbers. I wouldn't call that gambling. <laughs> I like my horses as well, but I don't gamble on them. Um, I, I do buy horses for my husband who, who likes his racehorses. Um, but um, but I guess looking at, at Crown, um, usually the general rule of thumb with takeovers is buy on the first bid. But look, we've seen this company already trying to make a bid for Crown with another party. Um, they've come back on their own this time. Um, so just watching this space very carefully. But it looks like, you know, Crown seems to be out of the danger zone and looks like it's been let off pretty lightly in terms of it, its licences. And, of course, its, it's properties are, are valuable as well. So, look, looking at both Crown as well as Star, and I think, um, you know, this is part of the reopening trade that they should do well over the next 12 to 18 months as long as their licences are intact and they don't have too, too many onerous provisions in terms of that licensing. Julia, thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Pete. Well, joining me now is June Bay Lu of Tribeca Alpha Plus. And June Bay, love to know what you're thinking about this new curveball of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Look, my thinking is, yes, it does provide a little bit more uncertainty, given the countries are very quick to shut down borders, affecting a little bit of international travel. But so far, the borders are really just shut to the countries where we don't have that much traveler anyway. So the financial impact is really small. Now, the financial markets, uh, global share markets sort of fell, uh, fell a lot uh, late last week and not so much today in our share market. Um, it's partly because, um, you know, the, um, the, the variant, we do have vaccination of vaccines available for other variant and uh, you know to come up with a um, you know the alteration or, or uh, a new vaccination it will be you know say maximum three months so it's nothing like what we saw uh, maybe a year and a half ago before we had vaccination so you know so on that path we kind of think that um, you know it is a scare it is uncertainty but it's nothing like what we experienced in the last 18 months so and the market has proven to be very resilient we have traded through all these other variants Delta and so many other ones. So, um, you know, all in all, we think, um, yes, you know, market was a little bit toppy, it sold off a little bit, um, but it does provide pretty good opportunity for to have a look at some of those, uh, you know, reopening trade again, because they've been sold off so much here and internationally. Yeah, because on Friday, corporate travel, for example, was clobbered and Qantas and Boeing over in America, yeah. and everyone went off to buy Zoom again, it kind of like we overcalculated the the necessity for lockdowns, wasn't it? That was that seemed like the, the Friday reaction. That's right. You're absolutely right. And if anything, currently we're looking at what the U.S. market might do uh, today or um, well, tomorrow. Um, it's actually pointing pretty positive. So if anything, I think we'll recover some of the losses we experienced from last week. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I read with great great interest that. You were one of the great predictors at the Hearts and uh, Minds conference um, last year, tipping tre um, Treasury Wine Estates. So we're going to look to you to give us some, you know, and I'm sure you, well, you actually had told us Treasury Wine Estates already uh, on this program. But, you know, what, what, are, what, what are you seeing as the buying opportunities for the year ahead? 
Look, we see plenty of them, and especially when market becomes volatile like this, it gets really excited and we just go, okay, what do we buy today? So, you know, there's a couple ones come to mind. Um, you know, first of all was a zero we talked to before. It's got sold off more recently. Um, you know, result was pretty good, but just a little bit behind expectations, but very backward looking, forward looking, things are good. You know, things like that we like. Um, you know, we saw recently, um, you know, Domino got sold off, um, you know, quite a bit um, because of missing the expectations a little bit but of course today's went up a little bit you know share, share market is very unpredictable on this basis but certainly um it's still quite um you know well down from its highs and it provides good growth opportunity um you know uh, other businesses we, we saw that has been sold off um you know seek is another one seek actually is one that we think uh, will do incredibly well in the next 12 to 18 months because uh, not only is a structural growth story um it is a business that's very leveraged to improving economy economy and the jobs if you look at the job index it's going through the roof and if anything people actually haven't started even churning the jobs yet so there's so much demand for new people um, but people haven't even yet to start moving um, so you know in that kind of environment we see this business very well positioned and it's not as expensive as you know what it used to be um, and it's you know it's just a business that will deliver good growth on the five-year okay. view okay well let's talk about seek for the moment uh, one of the underlying challenges for the economy are supply chain problems. Now, one of the supply problems is the lack of workers in this country. Something mm. like 350,000 foreign workers left during the coronavirus. And there's a high expectation that a lot of workers will come back. So in a sense, SEEK would probably find harder to make money when there are less workers around. But the more workers that show up, that's actually going to be a good thing for a, a business that matches businesses that want workers and with workers who want jobs. Uh, in a way, yes, that's right. Because uh, as more people come back, more people will move and then there'll be more vacancy. Then it hence lead to more ad job ads. So, you know, we're looking at pretty good job boom, um, job ads boom for the next um, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, okay. So let's, let's move on that. Earlier tonight, um, I was talking to Paul Rickard on the program. And Paul has always been a little bit hesitant on Woodside um, after the BHP move, but he now is becoming more supportive of what might happen to Woodside. What's your, do you have a view on, on the oil price, the global mm. recovery, and whether Woodside is a buy at these levels or not? Um, look, let's first let's say the oil outlook. Yeah. So um, in terms of oil prices, I think it, it is it has become quite volatile because of you know obviously new variant. People become risk off, be scared of what the outlook may may uh, may bode. But let's not forget there's demand improving. Um, eventually, the um, the international international travel will resume, um, and uh, the supply is still being disrupted. And then we've got all these um, you know short uh, the the. Uh, the energy shortages around the world because of the winter and all of that. Um, so these are things to stay, which means it bodes pretty well for the energy market, energy prices. Um, we did see, you know, it was down over the weekend, double digit, but it recovered 5% already today. So, you know, oil is actually um, in a pretty sweet spot for the next 12 months. So it's a good sector to have some exposure to. Um, but do be mindful, you know, these are the assets that uh, over the long term, um, you know, investor base will continue to shrink because it's fossil fuel it's you know it's bad for the environment 
um, you know, the investor base will continue to shrink. So that means um, eventually the, the, the terminal value, the asset value in many years time will be almost zero. So the, taking that into account still, you can make good money in the oil in the next 12 months and when things are still going well. Um, and we think oil is a good place to be. Now, Woodside, we do have a clear preference for the likes of Oil Search or Centos. So just simpler story, um, you know, more scalable business rather than um, the Woodside. Woodside, a little bit more complex. They are buying a high quality asset from, uh, from BHP. Uh, but the problem is when BHP, um, early next year, when BHP do split out its oil asset to its, um, to its shareholder, um, structurally, a lot of uh, BHP shareholder don't want to or they can't hold, um, you know, Woodside's shares. So they'll be forced to sell. Um, this say, you know, early to mid next year. Uh, and that's a lot of shares to be sold. <laughs> um, so, you know, just on that basis, there seems to be a little bit of a structural pressure just on that, you know, on the wood side, just a harder story to, to like, really. Yeah. Okay. Now, one area I'd like you to, you know, pass your view on, and that is the payment sector. Ever since Afterpay was taken over by Square, <laughs> Payments companies seem to be under pressure. We've seen Zip, its share price has fallen. Tyro's share price has fallen. Why is there a set against payments company? Is it because they're sort of linked to tech? I mean, they seem to go fall at the same time as tech, and tech tends to fall when interest rates are on the rise. What's your take on what's happening in the payment sector? Actually, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Ever since Afterpay got bid for, it seems like a dud. <laughs> the share price has been falling ever since. Um, look, um, it, the, the, key, key, uh, the key changes since when the Afterpay was bid until now is is that the um, the outlook for interest rate is looking a little bit higher. So, you know, we're looking at interest rate going potentially higher around the world, probably late next year, next calendar year. Now, in this environment, um, for companies that doesn't make um, free cash flow, so company doesn't make free cash flow, most of those um, payments companies don't make free cash flow uh, because simply because they've got to keep spending to grow the borrowers, right? So grow borrower and keep spending. So none of them are really cash flow profitable. Um, um, so for that sort of business, its valuation is very much underpinned by, um, you know, what the interest rate expectation is because, um, you know, you use your traditional valuation method like discounted cash flow and you get to your today's value. So all of them have fallen in value purely because that, you know, the, the macro environment of what's changed. The company hasn't changed. It's really just the valuation has, um, they were expensive. Now they just fallen a little bit just to be in line more with um, where everything else is trading on now. Yeah, but as Warren Buffett said, when everyone is fearful, it's time to be greedy. So for the long-term investor, are these payments companies looking like good value or do you think yeah. their, their prices are going to be terminally low, terminally <laughs> low forever? Like some, some fund manager might tell you, like the trend followers may tell you it's time to sell. Um, no, it's not. So time, uh, actually, it's absolutely time to be looking at companies when no one likes them, right? Um, and reassess whether anything's really changed, but nothing's really changed. My view is that for, especially by now, pay later, most of those companies won't be listed anymore in the next 12 months um, because they're so strategic for, um, you know, for these large fintech um, and they will get taken out. So none of them will be existed. So um, I, I, see, I still see a lot of value in this space. Okay. So if you were going to go in that space, what companies would you go after? 
Yeah, so um, at this point, I do think Tyrell makes a lot of sense um, simply because it's so cheap now and it is one of those reopening trades where, um, you know, they they release the uh, weekly data. It's now, tra uh, now up significantly from what it was last year um, because it's exposure to the cafes and restaurants um, and then also travel in further down the track. Um, you know, essentially it's volume, just track those businesses coming online. Um, it got sold off recently on um, really, you know, we had a bit of Delta, we had a bit of, now that we have this new variant, so they got sold off because of, you know, people a little bit worry about um, the lockdown and things. But I think that's overblown and um, and it is very, very cheap relative to all other fintech at this point. Okay, right, yeah. Well, June Baylou, great to see you and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. See you soon, thank you. Well, to get a bond market take on how they're interpreting the potential threat of Omicron, I've got Ying Yi and Cheng from Coolabar Capital. Thanks for coming on, uh, Ying Yi. Thanks, Peter. All right. Now, of course, you know, none of us really know what the potential threat is of Omicron, but we do know it's a threat. Stock markets have reacted. And also, I think in the US uh, on Friday, bond yields went down. That's another reaction. As professional players of the money market, what are you guys saying today? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously we're, we're yet to sort of find out more details from the health authorities with regard to, you know, I, I suppose the, the seriousness of this particular variant. Um, thus far, the anecdotal sort of reports via the media have said that essentially, well, this is more, um, I suppose, it transmits much more easily than the Delta variant. Um, what we have heard from the South African scientists who did sort of discover this particular variant, she has been sort of saying that the symptoms are milder. So we're yet to see the full sort of implications. I think the, the reports thus far in Australia have been that the, the two new sort of cases have been asymptomatic um, and those two young people have also been uh, you know, vaccinated as well, which I, I suppose sort of helps. I think that the broader concern um, that really stoked markets last Friday uh, was essentially when we were um, found out about the variant, we knew that there were, you know, quite a lot of uh, mutations, about 32, obviously that's been counted now. Um, and then at the same time, um, there was a rumour that it would be vaccine resistant as well. So, you know, given the seriousness of the vaccination rollout program and, you know, given that's been the primary sort of defence barrier in terms of trying to get to herd immunity, that definitely has been a cause for concern. Um, but obviously today, Things are sort of easing up a little bit, but we're yet to sort of find out. We're still very early stages as well. Yeah. All, all investments in either the equity markets or the bond market is always about risk management. And clearly, you know, Coolabar have been, you know, in, so, so involved in risk management that even when the coronavirus came, you know, you got all your smart people, probably including you, to, to actually try and work out when... Um, we, we would see a vaccine turnout when we'd start getting on top of um, uh, the spread and all those sorts of things. Um, ultimately, my feeling is that we're more prepared for this than we were with Delta. And so in a sense, the economic response is probably going to be a little bit more, less dramatic, a little less sensational. 
Is that your reading of what we're seeing so far? Yeah, I, I can't. I can't disagree with what you've said, Peter. And by you know, by all means, I think the fact that we've had such a successful uh, rollout of the vaccine here um, and definitely makes governments much more sort of confident with respect to dealing with this, and they have sort of emphasised this. So, it, yeah, again, it depends on the you know efficacy of the vaccine against this particular variant. I guess we're yet to sort of find out. Um, but at the same time, in terms of like how uh, we, I suppose, approach um, this, and it definitely is a key risk to markets. Um, but I would say that right now in our portfolios, we are primarily focused on super safe uh, government bonds, particularly those issued by the state governments. Uh, and if anything, you know, I, I think we we've sort of been through this cycle where we were in lockdown and there were concerns that the states would have to issue a lot more debt. We've come out of that whereby the states, basically New South Wales and Victoria in particular, um, have come out of lockdown much sooner than the market expected, which means that the cost to the actual states themselves is going to be a lot less. Um, so that is a, a key sort of a, a positive that um, we've had. And then obviously all the other states have managed this quite well. So the risk for us is obviously, you know, looking ahead and saying, okay, could this put the whole of, um, you know, New South Wales and Victoria into lockdown again? And I think, you know, um, you're judging by the government sort of slant, whether it's from the federal government and even, you know, I suppose the government of New South Wales, Victoria, and even to a certain extent WA now these days, they're moving much more towards the vaccination target um, as to the guide as to whether we shut all, yes, shut all lockdown, um, particularly economies. And I, I think, as you say, that makes uh, economies much more resilient in dealing with this new variant than we were originally with Delta. Okay, so is it fair then to say this, that if it proves what you said earlier, that while this may well be... Um, uh, faster to infect people effectively, but less impactful when it does, that the, the interpretation will be, okay, this is just another phase of learning how to live with this virus, but it's not going to lead to economic restrictions, significant ones, and therefore it might slow down the recovery, but it will not stop the recovery. Is this a, a, a fair argument to... I think that's fair. ...at this point in time? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, we are sort of getting into um, winter in the Northern Hemisphere. So there's, you know, heightened concern there. Um, and, you know, across the European countries, there's still, you know, massive sort of variations in how well vaccinated they are, right? As you know, in Germany, in Ireland, in Austria, and even the Netherlands, they're going into lockdown. So, um, but, you know, their vaccination rates are around 60 to 70%. Um, so they're by no means like to the same extent as vaccinated um, as our population is. Um, and so, yeah, to put on that sort of extra defence barrier, that's why they're going into lockdown, whereas for us it's a bit different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, apart from the fact that, you know, we love hanging out with you, Ying Yi and Cheng, for, for no good reason, or just hanging out with you is, is great fun. One thing we, we do love to find out is what you guys are thinking about interest rates right now. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, what, when is your expectation that the Fed might raise interest rates and when when is your expectation that Australia will see higher interest rates? 
Yeah, the indication for the Fed um, will likely be mid uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely been the indication. And I think the, the reappointment of Powell by Joe Biden suggests that the government is obviously happy with how the, the central bank is managing things. Obviously, you know, um, this new Omicron variant could be a particular sort of a risk, but, you know, thus now don't really sort of see that being as an impediment um, to them, you know, one, you know, removing quantitative easing, tapering back, and then ultimately raising rates as well. And the, I suppose the pause or the lag between the two, um, between tapering and then also hiking is unlikely to be very um, long either as well. So probably mid next year, um, that is priced in. um, And obviously that's what's gone uh, markets quite sort of and a bit concerned, um, in addition to the inflation print, right? Um, with respect to this, the situation in Australia, look, the RBA um, is very resistant to raising rates um, anytime soon, um, and that includes next year. So it's unlikely uh, that they want to raise rates until 2024, which was their original argument, right, when they had yield curve control. They said rates would be fixed until at 0.1% until 2024. We think that is still the case for them, but at the end of the day, they have flagged that they are data dependent uh, and that, you know, if we get consistent core inflation prints within that 2 to 3% band and we get higher wage inflation, then that might move the dial. But wages will be key uh, in Australia. Um, and ultimately, you know, uh, as we've sort of spoken about on previous sort of uh, catch-ups that we've had, it really comes down to the fact that our borders have been closed they still are technically closed to non-resident workers, skilled migrants as well, um, and also, you know, international students. So once things do sort of normalise, that should take the pressure off wage inflation and, if anything, have almost a deflationary effect. All right. So I, I want you to be sensational, and I know you won't be, but still <laughs> I'm try and make you be sensational. The, the CBA economics team thinks that the... The, reserve, the economy will be strong enough by November that the Reserve Bank might have to raise cash rates. Do you guys totally disagree or do you agree if the economy looks very strong second half 2022? Yeah, I mean, I can't entirely disagree with uh, what they have to say. But again, I'm not sure whether they have taken into, into account these borders reopening. Um, and wage inflation. So, you know, let, let, let's see how that pans out um, yeah. and whether, you know, firstly, inflation is truly transitory um, and then secondly, how the wage inflation numbers sort of pan out. So the important point you've made then is if we get a lot of foreign workers coming back and foreign students over the course of 2022, that then reduces wages pressure and takes away the inflationary pressure, which will be the prime driver of the central bank moving. And that's going to be a really important thing to watch. That's right. That's right. Okay, great stuff. Ying Yi, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Peter. Well, we've talked to fund managers and we've talked to a representative of the bond market. And now I want to go catch up with Paul Rickard to see how he's going to play the Omicron uh, challenge to the markets. Paul, good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Peter. 
So how are you going to play the, this new curveball for the uh, stock market? Well, I think I'm with you, Peter. I think it is a buying opportunity, probably just a little bit of patience required. Uh, I'm not surprised that the market um, yeah, basically went up from the opening day. I thought that was always going to be the case. We sold off a lot on Friday uh, ahead of it. And, of course, um, the news over the weekend perhaps wasn't as scary as people expected. So when I read the futures were down 104 points this morning, I thought it was a buy. The opening is really the way it's finished. It's sort of gone up steadily all day. But that said, I think there's, um, you know, as we've seen before, Peter, these things um, aren't over in a day or a couple of days. And we've seen, you know, previous drops around 5 to 6%. So we sort of had, I guess, at our worst, about 3.5%. Um, I'm not sure it's all over, Peter. So I think that there's going to be buying to come. Yeah. It seems to me, Paul, that if the, um, the view is that this could get worse, well, then the market will react. But if the view is that the you know the, the world can handle this new curveball of the virus, well, then there'll be a sort of a gradual buying up of those stocks that may well have been instantly um, hit for a six. Yeah, I mean, I think yes. I think the sort of the situation in Europe is potentially still more worrying than uh, the Omicron. Uh, mainly because, you know, we could see a much bigger impact on, on global growth if, if Europe goes into lockdown. Mm. Uh, and so that's really which I think started the slide last week and we've just sort of seen that it play out um, with the announcement out of South Africa. So I think a little bit of patience is required. There are some good opportunities. I think the oil price has been really interesting. I think the way it, uh, it fell in, uh, in New York or at least Chicago, I guess, on Friday and bounced back so, so much in Asia, it's presented some great opportunities to some of the oil companies if you're prepared to take a bit more of a, uh, a view that longer term. You know, growth is strong and um, OPEC or OPEC Plus have shown a remarkable ability to, um, to be incredibly disciplined. Yeah, behave as one, if you like. Yeah, very much so. All right, so you've actually looked at Woodside and it's been a company that you've had question marks over um, for the... The Scarborough project, um, CEO problems, now the BHP um, uh, selling of its its oil uh, assets to, to Woodside. All of these have been interesting curveballs slash challenges for the company. What's your latest take on Woodside, Paul? Well, I describe Woodside Peter as a gunner company. It was always gonna do great things, but it's never quite got there, you know what I mean? And um because yeah, we've got to remember with Woodside. It was a, it was the um, takeover that uh, former treasurer uh, Peter Costello famously knocked back in two thousand and one. That was a takeover offered by Shell. Mm. We we're going to pay over forty dollars for the company, um, and uh, he knocked it back on national interest grounds. Well, you know, twenty years later, Woodside shares are trading at twenty one dollars, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, Shell got out. Most they, they were lucky they got out. But if you've been a long-term Woodside shareholder, you've seen an enormous amount of you know destruction in shareholder value. Notwithstanding that, you know the, you'll hand some of the projects in the uh, Northwest Shelf and others. You know, are fantastic projects, but it really hasn't done a lot for shareholders. And I think um, you know the current projects Scarborough is a bit like that. Um, you know, an alleged thirteen and a half percent internal rate of return. You know, that's pretty optimistic given that six years it won't be ready. The first production won't be to two thousand and twenty-six. It's a two. It's a twelve US billion dollar project. 
you know, you've got all sorts of issues around, um, you know, environmental issues, ESG concerns, let alone all the actual development and construction work. And then is there going to really be a strong market for the gas? So uh, Woodside itself has spent over three years just trying to make the final decision. So it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. That's probably the way the analysts are reading it. But what they do like, Peter, is the, um, is the merger with the BHP oil interests, mm. uh, which has now also got the green light. And that's due to take, um, shareholders will get to vote on that in, the, in some time in the second calendar quarter of next year and, and be implemented by the 1st of July. And um, you know, if you're a BHP shareholders, BHP shareholder, you, you had to get a wood, some Woodside shares. It'll be treated as a fully frank dividend, an in specie fully frank dividend. So that's going to make it pretty attractive as well, mm. uh, particularly for low rate taxpayers. So um, some interesting things to cap, cap in there with Woodside shares. Uh, I guess, you know, I think there's value there around $20. You're just going to have to be a bit patient, I think. Uh, so if you're holding Woodside at this point of time and you're in the money, you're, you're, you might have bought in seventeen, eighteen dollars around when the crash was on. Uh, would, would you would you remain a, a holder, or would you take the profit and run? No, look, I, I'd probably hang on. I mean, I thought today at the first up this morning they were down almost five percent. You know, um, off their, their Friday close, mm. uh, I thought they looked great value. So I, I think it's it's a good hold long term, and it's a good buying around about twenty dollars um, for those that can be patient. But you're going to need to be patient, and one of the things you know, we're going to have to play out as when something like 950 million new Woodside shares are going to be issued, Peter, uh, when they get, um, when each BHP shareholder gets some Woodside shares. So that's a lot of new shares hitting the marketplace hmm. and there'll be a bit of an overhang for a period of time. So I think you've got sort of, you know, good long-term prospects, um, some great assets. The merger with BHP, oil and gas looks on paper to be pretty attractive better diversity of assets, um, better geographies, um, synergy costs, all sorts of things, or synergy benefits, I should say. But you have this overhang of, of script in the marketplace and it may just take a long time to clear. So um, I think there's some good buying, but I think you've time's on your side with Woodside. Yeah, it sounds as though it's the stock for a very patient investor, not the, the younger, let's get in there, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am type investor. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that said, Peter, good dividend yield, over 6%. Uh, it's, it's not a big multiples. I mean, um, you know, on current forecasts, the market has a trading on a multiple of about 11.5 times this year's earnings and only 8.5 times next year's earnings. So you've got to say there's, you know, there's a lot of value there in terms of, of, of the current price. Um, it probably should be a lot higher, like a lot of the oil companies, but it hasn't. It's been an underperformer the last you know, 24 months or so, or post-COVID has been an underperformer. Uh, and listen, we've now got the uncertainties out of the way. We've got a CEO, we've had a decision on Scarborough, uh, and we know what's happening with the BHP merger. So the three major things that were sort of over, overhanging the share price have gone. The trouble is, you know, this is a long, long project and, um, you know, there will be some a temporary surplus of stock, I think, in the market for a while. So... Okay. Uh, one important question then is to finish up. Given what you said about OPEC and they, they, they seem to be good at controlling uh, supply, uh, that even their reaction to Joe Biden releasing emergency reserves, they talked about cutting back their supply if he wanted to do that. If, if we 
end up with a, a strong economic growth year 2022, do you think that's going to be good for both the oil price and the Woodside share price? If it's a strong economic growth year, we get over the, Om Om the Omicron um, challenges and it's a strong year, that should be good for Woodside and oil prices? I think so, Peter. I mean, it's one of the things, in fact, if any of the movements I looked on Friday, the fall of the oil price I thought was the most amazing, not because it fell, but it was by 13%. And that was just you know, a few days after yeah. the Americans had abandoned sort of releasing reserves and seen no impact on the price. So it seemed, looked like a total overreaction to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just linking you, you two things. If, if Omicron sort of, you know, plays out, I said at the beginning, perhaps you don't buy straight away. It could be a company like Woodside, um, that gets sold down in something like this because people do fear a, a, a global slowdown. That might be the sort of stock to go for mm. uh, if in, in a good dip because they'll probably go pretty hard down. So that means that uh, if we get when we get through it, you know, it'll it'll bounce back up quickly as well. Okay, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. That's Paul Rickard from the switzerreport.com.au. And before I go, let me remind you, tomorrow is the Switzer Income Conference 2021. It's free. So all you have to do is register in the link in the description below. Love to see you there. It's all about looking at the, the kinds of investments that you might be interested in if you want to try and get some good income in 2022. Hope I see you there.